Well, we are going to jump back into our series called The Way of the Early Church. We've been going through uh, a survey of the book of Acts, the early church. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, the recordings of the life and teachings of Christ. And then the book of Acts is the continuation of that after the, the death and resurrection of Christ, then the church is born, and that is the book of Acts. The next, I don't know, 20 years or so uh, of that is recorded in the book of Acts. And so we're looking through that, and one of the reasons I'm very excited about the series, uh, The Way of the Early Church, is because in praying for the church, for good hope, me praying for good hope uh, for 2018, I really believe the Lord showed me if we want to see a move of God, we want to see progress and, and good things happen for the kingdom of God. It's not about finding a new thing. It's about connecting with eternal things. It's about grabbing hold of the ways of God. And in today's world, there are some wonderful things, but there are some things from, you know, from the early church that we're not focusing on that we can bring into today's world and have a greater connection with God and greater power from the Lord. And it's sort of like, you know, I've likened it to the summer that I met my wife. So that would, this summer will be 30 years ago. And uh, it was a great summer. Yeah. Yay. Like long time. She's put up with a lot, but the, uh, you know, we can't go back to 1988, right? I know everyone would want to who who was conscious in 1988 because 1988 was awesome. Uh, 1987 may have been the peak of Western civilization, but 88 was pretty good too. Uh, and the uh, as we uh, have grown in our relationship over these almost 30 years now, uh, you know, we just can't go back to that first summer. You can't do it. But there are some things that you can bring from them into. Today, you know, there are some relationship dynamics, some of the things, the beautiful things that you can bring into today. And that's what we want to do. We can't be the early church. We can't be the first century church. We don't live in the first century. Lots of things have happened. Uh, we are to be the church of 2018. And so we'll be that. But there are some eternal principles and ways of God that we can grab hold of from the book of Acts and apply to today and see God move. And so far, the first two weeks, the things that we focused on, the first one was rely on the Holy Spirit. The early church relied on the Holy Spirit. You know, they they had meetings and they strategized and they did different things, but they relied on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 is kind of the, the quintessential verse on that. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here, Jesus isn't saying go to the conference. He's not saying study this. He's saying just wait. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be, have power to be witnesses. And that happened on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came on them. And then they had power to speak the wonders of God in all these different languages that they didn't even know. It's a quite fantastic miracle. Uh, basically, I heard somebody describe it as the undoing of the Tower of Babel. 
You know, on the Tower of Babel, the people were coming together and, and God confused their language and they all spread apart. Now the people are all spread apart and they're to be brought together for the gospel. And so all of the different languages are being spoken to bring the people together under Christ. And it's kind of the undoing of the Tower of Babel. But that was through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through what people could do. So when we open ourselves up to God's power, we get past good ideas and we get into God ideas. And the the power of God was present to do great and mighty things. And today we rely on the Holy Spirit as well if we want to get beyond just simply the things we can do and get into the things that God can do. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about devoted. What was the early church devoted to? And Acts 2.42 gives four things that the early church was devoted to. Devoted means that you put off other things for these things. So if the football game is on, but one of these uh, comes up, you do this instead. So here we go, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, so this they would be the 3,000 people that got saved at the, the day of Pentecost, and then the ones that were added after that. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then they did not have the written word. They didn't have the Bible written down. They had people speaking it. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. And so the apostles uh, would speak and tell them what was going on. Now we've got it written down. It's the, it's the Bible. So they devoted themselves basically in our world to the scriptures and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is something that in today's modern Christianity, we don't necessarily understand. Uh, a lot of people don't um, because they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the group. They devoted themselves to one another. They preferred one another. They loved one another. They were they were bonded together with each other. It wasn't that each one had their personal relationship with Jesus and everybody else just dealt with life however they wanted. They were bound together. They were part of each other and they loved one another. They were there for each other. They devoted themselves to each other. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today in, in what we're discussing Um but they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is basically communion, potluck, and small groups all mixed together. So they would have big feasts together, and it was like a potluck fellowship time, but with a greater reverence for what Jesus had done, a greater reverence for uh, the body broken and the blood shed. So they were... Times of fellowship, but more connected with what Jesus had done. They also did that in small group settings, in people's homes and that sort of a thing. The breaking of bread and then prayer. They were people of prayer. They had a vibrant prayer life. They saw the power of prayer. And uh, what I asked last week was, what if the early church had not devoted themselves to these four things? What would the early church have looked like? That was my mean thing, a lot like the church today, <laughs> if they hadn't done these things. Uh, that was my mean statement for last week. But what if we today devote ourselves to these things, to the scriptures, not just to like memorizing scriptures, but understanding and putting into practice the ways of God. We devote ourselves to one another, so there's never a lonely, uh, abandoned person who's a believer. What if we devoted ourselves to the breaking of bread? We connected not just 
in a, as friends, but as children of God together under Christ. And we were people of prayer and we saw the hand of God move because it was loose through prayer. What would today's church look like if we were devoted to those things? It would look a lot like the early church with the incredible moves of God. All right, this week, are you ready? Button your seat, button your seat belts. Uh, I guess that's fine. Uh, you can buckle them too. Listen to this title of this sermon. You're going to be excited. Systems, Policies, and Procedures. All right. Woo! Uh, Okay, let's pray and believe God for something good. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for each one that's here. Lord, bless our time. Lord, as we look into your word, we know that your word is living and active and there are great things in there and that you can uh, touch each one of us with just what we need. Even though we need different things, we're fighting different parts of the battle, we're, we're just in different places and we need you in different ways. So Father, I pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would meet our needs right now, each one of us individually, so that we could grab hold of your truth and grow and take a step forward. So Father, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Systems, policies, and procedures. Fantastic. So there were great miracles that were going on. You know, chapter 3, we see a crippled beggar get healed and amazing things happen. We see some persecution starting to come up. So there's some external pressures on the believers. Then the Ananias and Sapphira thing happened, which was a big disaster. There was lies going on and a a divine judgment miracle. People dropping dead, scary stuff. But the church continued continued to grow. And then, you know, there was even some beatings for the, the believers and that sort of stuff. But even with that, the church kept growing. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is a very interesting verse. There's quite a few things in here to be able to uh, to notice. The first one, I think, is that there was a daily distribution of food. That this was a large organization that didn't just uh, have prayer meetings and didn't just do great preaching and see amazing miracles from God, but this was an organization that had compassion ministries as well. There was a daily distribution of food that went out to various widows, and it was part of the early church. There were compassion ministries that were happening. And another thing that's interesting is that there were people falling through the cracks because the church was growing. Now, remember, on the day of Pentecost, it went from like 120 to over 3,000. And now, how many people are involved? I don't know, but it's lots and lots, and it's growing very quickly. And there are people falling through the cracks because as the church grows, the resources to be able to meet the needs become too thin, and people fall through the cracks. And a dangerous thing that was going on is a certain ethnic group was falling through the cracks, while another one wasn't. That's very potentially dangerous. So we've got the the Hebraic Jews, which are the insiders, you know, the, the Hebrews who are, you know, they're the insider people, and their widows were all getting fed. But the Grecian Jews, 
Their widows were being forgotten. They were kind of those people over there, and they weren't the insider, important people. And so when the daily distribution of food happened, their widows were being forgotten and going hungry. This is a dangerous situation. So there was complaining, and there was problems. So let's look at a couple of things interesting that we should note. First, this daily distribution of food was specifically for people inside the church. It was this compassion ministry was designed for believers that were uh, members of the group. You know, I think church membership looked a little different then than it does now, but they definitely signed up to be numbered among the believers. And this was for widows who were believers and part of the church. It wasn't designed for people outside the church. Now, I'm sure that there were alms to the poor and people gave outside the church. I'm sure that very much happened. But there was a sense of responsibility to take care of those inside the church. If there were people with needs, they took care of them. We looked at that last week with devoting themselves to the fellowship. If somebody had a need, somebody would sell some of their possessions and they would meet the need. There were no poor people in their group because if anybody had a need, somebody else would just meet it. They felt a responsibility to each other. So this is designed for uh, helping those inside the church. Today, with Compassion Ministries, they're generally focused on evangelism. You know, you do nice things for people outside the church uh, because you want to show them uh, how much you care before they're going to care how much you know. So you, you got you to gotta do nice things for people first to build that relationship. So right now, Compassion Ministries are, are largely focused on evangelism. Back then, uh, we see repeated examples of compassion ministries being internalized for each other. So we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, towards the end of the sermon. And then the other thing, of course, that's obvious is the system was beginning to break down. So they had a system. They had a system of daily distribution of food. It was a daily thing. There was a system. There was a plan. But it was beginning to break down. Now, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 because Paul discusses this compassion ministry, this feeding program for widows with Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So in Acts chapter 6, Paul isn't even saved yet. You know, he's not even a believer. And then you know, Paul gets saved, and then he becomes the Apostle Paul, and then he writes the book of First Timothy, and at that stage, you know, decades later, the widow feeding program is still going on. And Paul, the mentor to Timothy, is giving him, you know, pointers and tips on how to manage the widow feeding program. There was a system, there was a plan, there were policies and procedures in place, and they were adjusted. So let's look at this in 1 Timothy, just to get a feel for, you know, how did this all work? 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Paul writes, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should... 
I'm sorry. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So he's saying to Timothy, yes, if there's a widow that's really in need, great. But if they've got family members, let the family take care of them. Verse 5. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Where are you going now, Paul? (laughs) Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that's pretty strong, isn't it? This is how interconnected they were, and especially along family lines for believers. Take care of each other. Don't deny the faith by not taking care of those close to you. Verse 9, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60. So they had age requirements. There was a list, and you had to be 60 years old. Was there a form they filled out? Did you go to an office? You know, like, how? Uh, you don't get put on the list unless you're over 60 and there's more qualifications. Has been faithful to her husband. Is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So you didn't get put on the list of widows if you were too young or... If you are not a committed believer who is living out their faith in an obvious, tangible, observable way, off the list. It's hard to get on this list. Verse 11, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Paul's a pretty straightforward guy. We're going to read some straightforward things here. This is in the Bible. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get in the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. So Paul is saying, look, younger widows who are young enough to be able to start their life over again, go ahead and start your life over again. Live your life. Don't become dependent at this stage and then just not have anything to do. Go ahead and restart your life. You know, hey, that's been rough. You're a widow. That's terrible. Restart. Go back and and start over with life. Have kids, manage your life, go forward. Get something done. Don't get bored and start doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And then last couple verses. Someone, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So you see, this was a very specific system. They had rules in place. uh, They had policies and procedures, and they had expectations about who would be able to receive help. And this wasn't for people on the outside. This was for people on the inside who had proven themselves, who were part of the group before, and now a need arises, and now we take care of them. That was how this list of widows uh, was applied. In this case, in Acts chapter 6, 
We see that the system is breaking down. They had 12 full-time staff in this big mega church, and people were still falling through the cracks. These widows were falling through the cracks, and when the system breaks down, it's very dangerous for the ministry. I'm going to ask you a question, and I, 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 I didn't really want to ask this question, but... Uh, I assume it's pretty much a universal yes to the answer of this question. Have you ever needed something from the church and no one noticed and you didn't get it? Do people fall through the cracks? How do we stop that? (laughs) You know, it's everybody working together is what it is. And they were looking at the same situation 2,000 years ago in the first century church with the distribution of food to the widows. And there were people who had no one to help them and they were part of the church and the church wasn't helping them because it was, it was just too complicated and too many people and they missed, they got missed. So what do they do? Let's go to Acts 6 verse 2. Next verse. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the 12, that's the 12 apostles, gathered all the disciples together. So the whole group, the Grecian Jews, the Hebraic Jews, all the believers, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, waiting on tables is very, very important. We'll see that here in this verse. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn... So full of the spirit and wisdom. They're the ones who are going to wait on tables. They need to be full of the spirit. They need to be full of wisdom. These are advancing believers who are showing promise. They're the ones that can wait on the tables. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they're saying, we need to add some more staff members. You know, we've got 12 full-time staff. Let's go to 19. This must have been a big job if they said, we need to get seven more people. Must have been a pretty big job. So they're going to add seven more people in. Hopefully that'll solve the problem. Then the 12, the apostles could focus on preaching and teaching and prayer. So they're basically changing the job description of the apostles from Ministry of the Word and Compassion Ministries to, okay, let's add in some new people and they'll do the Compassion Ministries and the apostles will do these things. They're changing job descriptions. They're changing organizational structure. How does that go? Acts 6, verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So I don't know a lot about the history of names and this sort of thing, but people tell me that these are Greek names. And so the whole group gathered together, the Hebraic Jews who were Christians, the Grecian Jews who were Christians, because right now uh, Christianity was basically a sect of Judaism. Uh, we'll get into the Gentiles coming in in a, in a couple chapters. But right now it's just Jews, and they come together. They realize the Grecian Jews 
are the widows who are being forgotten and the Grecian Jews get picked to have the responsibility to feed the widows, not just the Grecian widows, but also the Hebraic widows. So the ones who are being wronged are given the responsibility not just for themselves, but for the others who were doing the wrong inadvertently. And this is an important moment in the development of the church because trust is put in the hands of the Grecian Jews. What happens then? Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So up till this point, we've seen incredible miracles from God where people are speaking languages they've never, uh, they've never learned. We're seeing incredible moments of preaching that brings the whole group, you know, cut to the heart and amazing, uh, responses, basically like altar calls and, and responses to the gospel. And we see the church advancing and growing. And here we see an adjustment in organizational structure, job descriptions and policies and procedures. And the answer that comes is that the number of disciples increases rapidly and even priests get saved. So all these things are vitally important. Great miracles from God, great preaching and good policies and procedures and organizational structures. Amen. Did you know that could be exciting to talk about? It's true, because here's the deal. People stopped falling through the cracks. Oh, man, if people didn't fall through the cracks. If everybody who needed someone to care about them had someone care about them, oh, man, wouldn't that be something? But it's going to take some more people being involved. And in our world, really, it takes all of us loving each other, noticing each other, caring about each other, taking care of each other, and we'll hopefully add staff when the right time comes. But amazing things happened with this change of structure because people stopped falling through the cracks. They were loved, and amazing things happened for the kingdom of God. So here are two ways of the early church Uh, ancient but eternal ways that we can put into practice today that we learn from the, the book of Acts. First one is, just if you're a super spiritual person, this one might not be that exciting, but here we go. First way of the early church, they adapted their church systems and structures to meet emerging needs. Oh, yeah. They adapted their, uh, basically their systems and structures when a need arose, They adapted and changed. So the lesson we have with that is don't get super legalistic on church structures and it has to be this way or that. You know what? We can adjust to meet the needs. That's how they did it in the book of Acts. And so we can adjust. We can can change things. We can have different uh, structures in order to be able to meet the need most effectively. So the second one, which we'll talk about for the rest of our time, is this interesting thing that we noticed in that they gave food and material support to those inside the church. What did they give to those outside the church? If these compassion ministries were internally focused, what did they give to the people on the outside? 
What they gave to the people on the outside was the gospel. They gave to the people on the outside miracles. So what they gave to people on the inside was food, material help. People on the outside, they gave uh, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the gospel. And so why is that? But let's look at an example because uh, I find this very, very interesting. You know, have you thought along these lines before? It's kind of new to me. You know, like uh, the just the subtleties of this. Very interesting stuff. That uh, on the inside we take care of each other. On the outside we give the gospel. So Acts chapter three, verse one, we see uh, Peter and John come before someone who's asking for money. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth, a man crippled from birth. You imagine living in that day, crippled from birth? You're just dependent on other people helping you. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those coming into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Wouldn't this be a perfect opportunity for them to give him some money? Verse 6, Then Peter said to him, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What did Peter and John give this individual that needed some money? What did they give him? They gave him a brand new life. Said, you've got these problems. We're going to give you a new life. We're going to take you out of being a beggar sitting in front of the temple. And we're going to give you the capacity to live your life the way you're supposed to. And he's healed and he's excited. And here's what I believe happened after this moment. None of this is recorded in the scriptures, but I'm thinking this dude got saved and put his hope and trust in Jesus. And he joined the church and he's now healthy and strong. So he got a job and he starts taking care of his own needs and he starts giving to other people and I believe some of his money went into the widow's food fund and he was helping feed the widows in Acts chapter 6 because he had a brand new life he was freed from all of that and that's what the early church gave to the people on the outside was the gospel was the ability to be free from the things that were holding them down and to have the wisdom and understanding to walk in the ways of God so uh this individual who was a beggar was healed and given the capacity to earn money and take care of himself and help other people given a new life it's the promise that god gave to the nation of israel that if they would learn god's ways and put them into practice that this would be the result deuteronomy 28 12 and 13. 
The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, and send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. So the gospel, the ways of God are not, you know, here's some money to get you through today, but learn the ways of God, the ways of prosperity, so that you don't need to beg in the future. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a moment. But this is, this is such an important point that the believers, you know, a widow back then in their 60s or 70s. Yeah, help them out. Of course they're going to need some financial help. They're going to need some food. But someone who's younger, who finds themselves in need, what they need is to learn the ways of God so they can overcome that and live a whole different life. That's what they need. So they shared the gospel with them. And this is, this is part of our mission strategy, like with the New Vision Children's Home in Jamaica. You know, we don't want them to be dependent on us. We want them to be the head, not the tail. We want them to be on top, not on the bottom. So we want them to be able to develop the farmland so that when we're no longer in the picture, they're perfectly financially self-sufficient, able to take care of themselves, and they can help other people. And this is God's plan for us. That we learn his ways. That we become free in so many different ways because we're able to grab hold of the ways of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to church and he's going to read from the scriptures. Let's look at that as our closing scripture. Luke 4, starting in verse 17. Then the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's the good news to the poor? The good news to the poor is that you can learn the ways of God and the ways of God are the ways of prosperity and you can get free from the bondage of poverty. Release of the prisoners. How many people are chained by so many different things in this life? The good news is that we can learn the ways of God and we can break free from the things that have been holding us back. We can break free from all that garbage that has been pulling us down our whole lives and through God we can be free. Recovery of sight for the blind. 
The ways of God are the ways of wisdom and vision and clarity in life. To no longer be nearsighted and blind, all worried about things that are six inches from our face, but to be able to see the kingdom of God and the vastness of this creation. What do you need? It's not $10 to buy something at McDonald's. That's a small thing. What we need is to learn the ways of God so that we can be overcomers in all these areas of life and we can be free. That's what we need. And that's what the early church gave to the oppressed. They gave them the ways of God so that they could be born again and live a new life. Let's pray and I want you to ask God for the thing you need. Do you need to learn the ways of abundance, the ways of freedom, the ways of vision and wisdom and clarity? Do you need to learn what it means to be an overcomer, not a victim, but more than a conqueror? These are the ways of God that when we learn them and we put them into practice, we get to step into newness of life so profound where it's called being born again. What do you need? Let's pray, let's ask God, let's grab hold of those things so that we can walk in the fullness of them, so that we can understand them well enough to explain them to other people so that they can come and learn the ways of God and that this whole thing can just spread. So let's pray. Let's trust the Lord. Heavenly Father, we know your ways are good. We know, Lord, your ways are the ways of prosperity. Your ways are the ways of abundance. Your ways are the ways of freedom. Your ways are the ways of wisdom and vision and clarity. Your ways are the ways of of overcoming obstacles and not being crushed, but overcoming evil with good. Lord, we need to learn your ways. Father, for each one of us right now, by your spirit, spark in our hearts something we can learn from you. And then... Help us to to seek it out, to learn and practice and develop over time so that we can conquer in those ways. What do we need? Show us. And then, Lord, show us what it means to receive these good things from you, these great promises. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. But I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be in us. Lord, we'd be full of faith, trusting in your ways, expecting to be able to grab hold of all these good things. And Lord, that we would know your love. We would know your love fully and completely so that we could be filled up and have extra to share with those who are hard to love in this world. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.